0: Hey, last week we uh, we jumped into this three-week uh, section on evangelism, and so we're going to be in our in our second week uh, this week. Uh, if you're new with us, uh, the way that things kind of work here is that I'm going to teach uh, for for a few minutes, a few brief minutes um, on on Sunday morning, and then what we want you to do uh, is we want you to learn, right? So we want you to bring your Bible, uh, bring notes. We want you to learn. We want you to Uh, ingest this information. But what we also want you to do is we want you to be a part of a life group uh, where you can process this information in the context of a community of believers, where you can ask questions, uh, where you can discuss the topic, where you can open the word together. uh, Because the reality is some of the most profound uh, time of learning and growth as we follow Jesus is when we uh, get around the scriptures together as a group, and we allow God to speak to us, and we ask questions, and we and we uh, are okay saying, "Hey, I don't really understand this. Would you, uh, you know, how, how do you see it?" Or we say, "This is how this is playing out in my life. This is this is how I'm seeing this come to fruition in my life." And those are some of the most meaningful times. So I would really encourage you to not let this just be the only thing that you do, but to uh, jump into a small group where you can. Uh, discuss this and where we can apply it into our lives. The other thing that we do in our life groups is we pray for each other. And you talk about a profound impact um, in our lives is when we get together and we seek the Lord on each other's behalf, where we where we pray for each other, where we're willing to say, here's where I need somebody to pray for me. And we have that vulnerability in community. It's a powerful thing, and I would encourage you to be, uh, to be part of that. We're, we are going to step into our second... Uh, Section on evangelism, and then we'll finish it next week. We're going to be in Matthew twenty-eight this morning, and before we before we get into that, uh, I want to those of you that are uh, that are uh, members of our church, uh, and I want every one of you to be a member of our church. So, uh, just so you know, it's a soapbox, and I'm not going to. Well, just a moment on the soapbox. Um, I, get, I hear all the time, like, there's no reason for me to be a member. I'm just going to be here for a short amount of time and then move on. And I would just tell you this. I don't believe that for a minute. Um, I believe that if you're here, if God has brought you to Nacogdoches and if God has placed you in this church, then, then it's for a purpose and then it means something. And we want you to be part of what God is doing here. And a huge part of that is becoming a member, S- signing on the dotted line and saying, uh, I'm, I'm in, I, you can have all of me, I'm dedicated and, and bought into this church. And we want you to do that. And uh, some of you are concerned about maybe what your church back home might think of that. And I want to just tell you, I'm sure that it would not be an issue at all. Uh, I can tell you that every pastor I've ever spoken with would be delighted to hear that somebody is deeply investing in their church where they're living. And so, any any pastor that I know would be delighted that you're that you're joining. And if they're not, I'd love to chat with them. So, uh, anyway, but those. Uh, so all that to say, I would love for you to stick around. We are, as you know, from last week, we're experiencing some transition here. Um, and Pat announced last week that, that he and April are going to be moving to DFW. Uh, for those of you that aren't Texans, that's Dallas-Fort Worth. Um, and, uh, and and they're going to be moving in uh, March 25th is his last Sunday. So next Sunday, uh, right after church, we're going to have what we call a family meeting. And we're, it's where we're, this, the membership of this church is going to get together. We're just going to talk about uh, the transition our elders would love to share with you. And so if you're a member, um, we would love for you to be part of that and stick around next week. Okay, deep breath. We've got a lot to move through today. And uh, and we're going to make it. So last week, we began uh, just talking about what evangelism is is, and I want to clarify a couple of points and then spend a short time reviewing. The, the the point I want to clarify is that basically we started out saying we've, we uh, there is a, a way in which our view of evangelism is kind of broken. When we say evangelism, what we hear is we hear kind of this singular idea of sharing our faith. Now, that does uh, that, that is in line with the definition of evangelism. To, to evangelize in the scriptures is to share the gospel. That's the simplest uh, way of, of describing that. It is, to, it is to share the gospel. So when we talk about evangelism and we say it's the sharing of our faith, we're correct. But most of us in our mindset have detached that from the, uh, the greater context of what evangelism fits into, which is the Great Commission. And what is the Great Commission? Jesus tells us to go and make, Yeah, you ought to know this well, we've been spending a lot of time here, go and make disciples. He says, go and make disciples of all the nations, and we're, gonna, we're in the process of studying uh, what he said there, but evangelism fits into the Great Commission. The Great Commission is the wider context where as we share our faith, evangelism, disciples are made okay and then there's there's more that happens in in discipleship that's where uh, we learn to be like jesus and uh, evangelism is that very 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 beginning so one of the questions that came up last week as we were kind of tearing down this model of should i just be an evangelist the answer is no you should be a disciple maker evangelism fits within that but but people got a little confused and said well wait a minute does that mean that just because I'm not going to be able to like meet with this person once a week for the next five years, should I not share my faith? What's the answer to that? No. Absolutely share your faith. Remember... Evangelism is, is within uh, the Great Commission. And here's the deal. The, the reality is that you may or may not be part of that whole process in someone's life. It doesn't mean that, we don't, that we're not sharing our faith. You may sit down uh, next to somebody in class that you will see one time in your life. And God may, in that moment, uh, give you Uh, the opportunity and the favor in that relationship to share Jesus with that person and they may in that moment receive him and begin to walk with him and that may be literally the only time that you ever are in contact with that person and the discipleship process that they go through in, in order to learn how to be like Jesus may take place with people you don't even know but it doesn't mean that you don't share your faith we should be constantly asking God for opportunity to share our faith. And when those moments come, we need to jump on them. We need to recognize that that is is what God is doing in and through us. And we need to jump on them. And we don't need to go, well, I'm not going to share my faith with this person because I won't be able to be their best friend. It doesn't matter. We share our faith all of the time. So here's the deal. I kind of just was going, okay, how can I simplify this? And here it is. It's, you are responsible for the making of disciples in whatever capacity the Lord allows you to do that in someone's life. Okay, So you're responsible for making disciples in whatever capacity. That capacity might be a one-time meeting. That capacity might also be a lifetime of friendship in which you share the gospel and are part of that person's uh, journey of faith. And it may be just uh, just a section of that, but you're responsible for the making of disciples in whatever capacity that allows you. Okay, well, last week we also talked about the beginning of Jesus' statement. So let's get to the scriptures, Matthew chapter 28. That's, an, that's some review, and let's let's just get back to where we are. So Matthew 28, verse 18. It says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Last week, we broke this up. We said we were going to do this in three sections. The first section was this. All authority in heaven and on earth and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore. That's where we stopped last week. And we, we recognized that it was important that Jesus made this statement, that all authority has been given to him, that he sends us under authority making disciples is not optional if we have uh, if we have submitted our lives to Jesus if we are followers of his then this command is directed to us and he has the absolute authority to give this command and he gives it pretty directly doesn't he he says go therefore now go therefore comes right after the statement of all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me it's like when when and I told you last week, it's like when a, when a father says to a kid and they, 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 to do something and they say, why? And it's because I told you so. That's why, right? That's, that's, that. that's a statement of authority, right? And Jesus is saying, all authority has been given to me. Go, therefore. The other thing we talked about that is so important is that Jesus not only sends us from his authority, he sends us with his authority. He doesn't just say, "Okay, I I have the right to tell you what to do because I'm because I'm God because I'm Jesus. All authority's been given to me. Go and do your best." He also accompanies us with his authority. We carry the power and the authority of Jesus with us as we make disciples. We looked at Moses. Moses asks God when he goes to Pharaoh and, and, and tells him to release the captives of the children of Israel, and, and he says, Who do I tell them sent me? And God says, I am. Moses went with the authority of God, and Jesus sends us uh, from his authority, but also with his authority. And it's it's vital that we understand that. Next. We're going to jump into the middle part of this statement and it's going to be the longest uh, statement that we're going to cover or the longest section that we're going to cover. So we left off at Go Therefore. Let's just start in verse 19 and we'll cover our new stuff for today. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Okay, so that's the section we're going to try to tackle here in 25 minutes. Are you ready? (laughs) Can we do it? Everybody's smiling and nobody believes me. Okay, take, take a deep breath. All right, and I want you to just ask God just in this moment before we jump in, I just want you to ask God to speak to you. I want you to know that unless God speaks to you, none of this will really matter. It'll just be intellectual stuff. But if God speaks to us, then our lives will be changed, our hearts will be transformed, and the world will be different because we encounter God this morning. So would you just, for just a second, just go, just stop and go, God, would you teach me this morning? Would you lead me into all truth this morning? I'm just going to give you a couple of seconds and then I'm going to jump in. Alright, so Jesus tells us to go and make something. He's already established his authority and he says to go and make something. He doesn't leave this up to us. He doesn't say, Go and go and do the best you can at whatever you put your mind to. He gives us very specific instruction to go and make what? Disciples. Is it important you think that we know what a disciple is? Yeah. You ever you ever tried to go do something without looking at the, at the instructions? Men? Yeah? <laughs> right? I do this every time. And we're in this phase. My son is seven. We're in this phase where we all, the things that are, that we get are like Legos and all that kind of stuff. And I'm like, show me the picture. Leave the instructions behind. And I'm trying to, you know, like... And it never really works well. It's, I always end up with a few extra pieces, and I'm going, what in the world? And my son, it's, it's a little humbling because my son's over here, like, meticulously doing it. And he's reading the instructions, and he ends up with the right deal. And I'm over here, like, frustrated. And and it's like, Dad, just, the it says right there, you know. And... Uh, but but it's vital that we know what we're doing before we begin to do it. And I think so much energy in the Christian life is spent in action that we haven't been commanded to do. Go and be busy making yourself look really religious and really spiritual. That's not what Jesus said right? We, we, get, we get busy doing so many things. We, we spend our energy doing so much. And, and, and I think some of the times we never even looked at the instructions. We never even looked back and went, what has God commanded us to do? Are we putting our effort, are we putting our focus and our energy to what God has commanded us to do? So he said, go and make disciples. Well, what is a disciple? Well, we borrowed, when we studied discipleship, we borrowed Dallas Willard's definition. And I'm going to read it again. It says, I'm learning from Jesus to live my life as he would live my life if he were I. Okay? I'm learning from Jesus to live my life as he would live my life if he were I i okay so discipleship we talked about it a disciple would be learning from his rabbi exactly what his interpretation of the torah would be right he would follow the rabbi so closely that he would know every single lived way that that rabbi uh, interpreted the law so that he would he would understand not by intellectual uh, alone not by being intellectual alone but by living in proximity with this rabbi seeing how he uh, translated uh, the Torah into his life. What does it mean to you? How do you play it out? How does it, how does it get lived out in your life? That's what a disciple would do. And a disciple would learn this so that they could adopt it into their own life and be like their rabbi, but not become their rabbi, be like their rabbi in their own context. You tracking? If, if you want to just, we spent three weeks on that or four weeks on that. Go back to the podcast, listen through those discipleship uh, lessons if you want to go. Okay, what's discipleship? Because discipleship has has come to mean something so disconnected from its original biblical context in our culture today. It's important that we reground it in what it meant in the scripture. So that's what it meant. When that word disciple was used, it was very connected to a process of becoming like a rabbi that a student would would go through. And Jesus tells us, go and make disciples. Now, whose disciples? Yeah, very good. Okay. Go and make disciples of all nations. And how do we know it's disciples of Jesus? He's about to tell us, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. This is very specific, that our work is to be to make disciples of Jesus. We are making disciples of Jesus. So, he uses the word, make disciples. I don't know if that encourages any of you, but it encourages me. What does it tell us about discipleship? Discipleship is a process. Disciples are made. Disciples are not just converted. Okay? This is, again, where we have to see evangelism in the greater context of discipleship. Evangelism is sharing the gospel to that end that someone would receive Jesus, but discipleship is not just receiving Jesus. Discipleship is becoming Him. Right? Discipleship is as Jesus moves into our heart and our lives in the person of the Holy Spirit and we become like Him because of a process that we go through. Everybody say process. That ought to make you feel so good. You are all in process. You are in process with Jesus to become like him. And he is leading that process. Discipleship is a process. What it also needs to do, first of all, it needs to make us comfortable with ourselves. We need to go, okay, this thing is a process. Quit beating yourself up so bad. Just keep showing up. Just keep showing up and let Jesus do what Jesus wants to do in your life. The other thing it ought to to do is it ought to fix our minds to a longer term relationship with people. We need to stop being so focused on the, the, the numbers of how many people can I share my faith with and, and, and how many people can I be in Bible study with and how many, like we just have all these numbers and what we're trying to do is we're trying to get really, 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 really wide with our reach and the reality is that discipleship requires depth because discipleship is a process. I would rather you go deep in the lives of a few than wide with so many that you don't have any connection and relationship with. So discipleship is a process because disciples are made and then here's uh, the next piece of that statement make disciples where come on where we need to hear this today of all nations so that means there's some that are excluded right come on who's excluded in the word all but there's got to be somewhere right there's got to be some corner of the earth that God says, not, it's just not them, right? All nations... And we so deeply need to hear this today because this absolutely breaks into pieces the viewpoint that our culture is, is pushing on us. That men and women are separated uh, by, by where they come from. That men and women are separated by what they accomplish and what they achieve. In the scriptures, in the view of God, in the kingdom of heaven, there is no distinction in value. All are created in the image of God and all are designed by God to be filled with his spirit and be disciples of Jesus. There is no exclusion. Discipleship is for all the nations. And I want you to just know that those words from Jesus to his disciples would have been tough words to hear. Because think about the context that they were in. They were in a context where all these men were Jewish. And where are they living? What what is the ruling authority over them? Rome, and it's a violent and and uh, and, and segregated population. There's only a, there's only those who are Romans that will that will succeed. Everybody else must be kept in check. Everybody else must know their place in the world. Okay. So this is where they're living. So you can imagine that as Jewish people, their back is against the wall a little bit, isn't it? We talked about this when we, when we studied the cross. A hundred years before Jesus came, there were hundreds of thousands that were crucified, and the, and the road into Rome was lined with crosses of those who had rebelled, right? Rome made sure that you were put in your place. And so you can imagine living in that hostility every day, living every day with the fear that one day somebody might snap, and I could lose my life just because somebody woke up on the wrong side of the bed, right? You could imagine what that would create. And then hear Jesus say, go and make disciples of all nations. They're going, no, 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 no. This thing's for us. This kingdom of God thing is for us. You're the Messiah, which means you're going to establish Israel, right? This is, this is not for all the nations. This is just for us. Their back was against the wall, and Jesus had come, and their belief and their hope was that the Messiah of Israel, which is spoken of in the, in the Old Testament over and over and over again, would be freedom and rescue. They expected a power move where Rome's power would be stamped out, and the Jews would rise to power under the leadership of the Messiah. And they would establish dominance. Those that had been forgotten and small for so long would establish dominance. And for Jesus to say, go and make disciples of all nations. You know what they immediately had to do? They immediately had to look at their oppressor and realize that God's heart was for them too. All nations? All nations? Wait a minute. This thing was just for us. And Jesus says that there is absolutely no exclusion, that discipleship, that the love of God is for all. Jesus displayed this in his life. We look at when he, when he talked to the woman at the well, she was where she was from where she was a what Samaritan woman, right? She was, she was in the outcast category and Jesus came and spoke. She was, she was a woman at, at midday. He, he messed up all, a bunch of different times. He was speaking to a Samaritan. He was speaking to a woman. He was speaking to her in the middle of the day. And, and Jesus constantly slammed into these cultural barriers and said, no, 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 no. It's for every single one that has been made in the image of God. And he tells them to go and make disciples of all nations. All right. Doing what? Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Now, we're in a Baptist church. Some of y'all need to get excited. That's our word right there, right? Come on. Come on. Smile. you are like, I don't even know what he's talking about. (laughs) Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. I got good news for you. And I got some bad news for you. This is not just talking about the uh, the baptism by immersion. We can't pull out of this that that and, and say, "Oh, that means Jesus was a Baptist," right? We can't we can't do that, right? <laughs> it's not it's not what it's saying here. What does the word "baptize" mean in the Greek? It's "baptizo." What does it mean? You know, just curious. Anybody took Greek? SFA doesn't do that. All right, okay. It means to immerse in, right? right? To fully immerse in. Jesus told us He would baptize us with the Holy Spirit, right? What does that mean? To fully and completely immerse us in the presence of God, in in His Spirit, right? So baptize, baptizo means to be flooded by. If we were to get a cup and we were to baptize, well, I have one, uh, and we were to baptize this cup, what would we do, right? We would totally totally dunk it in water, right? To the point where it was it was overflowing, totally immersed with, right? That's the word baptized. So what he says is, he says, make disciples of how many? Okay, do you didn't forget. All nations, baptizing them in the name of. Now that, in the name of, can be a little bit confusing as well. What I think we can maybe dangerously hear from that is that what that means is that when we baptize somebody, we're supposed to say, in the name of. <laughs> and we do that, nothing wrong with it, okay? But that's not what he's saying. He's not saying that when you baptize someone, you need to say, in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. In the name of, if we move that back into its original language, it says, into the name. Okay, now come on. Immerse, or or, or, or Im- immerse into the name of. Of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now that's really interesting that He would say all three of those, isn't it? Y'all tracking? So let's, let's. I know this is a strange statement to follow, but but here's what He says: Make disciples of all nations. Now this is where it's really important for us to understand. He's going to clarify what He's talking about by saying for us to be for them to be baptized into the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. He's going to clarify what it means to be a disciple. A disciple of who? jesus and a disciple of jesus is immersed into the godhead all right you you tracking here's here's why he says it all right because to be immersed into is to create allegiance so that phrase into the name of was a, a statement of allegiance. It's like if if I'm going if Jason's picking teams for basketball, I'm on his team, right? I'm I'm I've got allegiance to his team. We were talking March Madness. I don't know. It was just in my mind. There's allegiance when we use that word uh, in the name of. So that phrase into the name of. So we're immersed into allegiance to what the Father, the Son. And the Holy Spirit. Now again, why the three? What happens what what happens if the gospel is only for the Jew? And he doesn't say it to all that that make disciples of all nations, then really all he needs to say here is baptize them into the God of Israel. If we if we if, if he says what he does say, which is which is make disciples of all nations, how many nations have an idea of God? Everybody, right? Everybody's got some idea of God, and they explain it in, in in different ways. But even the context that they were in, right? Which is which is Rome. You've got this. Uh, you've got this. Uh, this real intellectual uh, ascent. And, and what are they trying to do? They're trying to figure out God. And wh- and to and to the Romans, who was God? The question is better. Who wasn't right? Everybody was God. There was God of everything. And it it was impossible to keep up. Paul encounters this uh, in in, in his travels, in his missionary journeys. He goes, man, there's there's God of everything. There's even God of the unknown God. (laughs) Like you've covered everything, right? So when Jesus makes discipleship to all the nations, to every single person in every corner of the planet is able to be a disciple, he's got to clarify a disciple of who? Because we're not just talking to Jews anymore that would know when he said God, he meant the God of Israel. So what did he say? Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them into this God. Not just any God. To become a disciple is not just to form allegiance to any God, but it is to form allegiance to the God of Israel, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the God that stands alone as Father and Son and Holy Spirit. He uses the Godhead to describe the one true God that He's talking about them being disciples of. Because it's for all nations, and He wants to make sure that there's no confusion. This isn't just go and tell somebody, Hey, Nick, you, you, you believe that God is... Whatever your definition is, I'm going to make a disciple. So you just serve that God, and that's discipleship. Right? Does that sound a little familiar? That kind of sounds like what we're doing right now. That kind of sounds like our nation, doesn't it? Just let God be whatever you want it to be, and you serve that God, whatever it is, even if it's you, and as long as it makes you happy, go for it. Jesus makes a his point Super, super clear that this requires, to be a disciple, requires allegiance to the one true God. You are His and His alone. There is no other God. It is just Him. So to baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit literally reads this way immerse them into allegiance to the one true God. Now, doesn't that sound like discipleship? Doesn't that sound like what we want? If someone were to describe that, if they were to go, man, my life changed at the moment that I was just inundated and totally given to the one true God. Isn't that what we want for people? Isn't that what it ought to look like for us? Total and complete immersion into allegiance to. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't baptize, all right? But that's just, we can't just pull that out and go, okay, that's what that all means, all right? So I I was just making a little Baptist joke. You don't have to get too offended, all right? All right. Here's the next part. I'm moving quick. Y'all, we're going to make it. And all the haters said, oh, man. All right. The next statement is, Teaching them, verse 20, I don't like starting in the middle of a sentence, let's just get some momentum. Verse 19, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Okay, so here's this last section that we're going to cover today. He says, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. All right. Here's, here's another one that I think right now we're walking this really, really, really fine line. There, it, it, as I've just kind of reviewed this, I think there's two distinct parts to teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. My concern for us is in, in a, the church, specifically the church in the West, is that we are leaning on one side of this uh, definition and we've forgotten the other side. So here's the two sides of what this means, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. What's the first question we have to ask? What did Jesus command? Again, it's like if Jesus says go make it, we got to go make something. What are we going to ask? Make what? Make disciples. So we need to know what a disciple is, right? If Jesus tells you an action word, right? English majors, where are you at? An action word is a what? Okay, there we go. Come on. All right. Jesus gives us a verb. It's to do something. Teaching them, what should we do in response? ask a question. Teach them what? (laughs) Right? Teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. Okay. Enter in another question. What has Jesus commanded? I think we've forgotten to ask this question. If I look at our current model of discipleship, I I think we've forgotten to ask this question. Here's the reason why. What did Jesus command us? If we look back in the Scriptures, and and He's speaking to His disciples, if we look back at what Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John have have shared with us about what Jesus described and what He commanded, what did He command? There's two categories of things. He commanded us things to do. Okay? That's one category. Things to do. I want to show you a few of those, okay? Uh, I want to show you uh, just a couple. So go to Matthew chapter 6, just to the left a little bit. I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 5. One of the best places to find uh, things to do is in Matthew 5 through 7. It's a Sermon on the Mount. It's kind of just a really concise, and I say concise, it's long, but it's a, it's a concise definition of the way the kingdom of God works. That's the best way I know how to describe Matthew 5 through 7 is the way the kingdom of God works. All right, so what did he say? Here's some examples, some things to do, all right? The, the, the beginning of the, uh, the Sermon on the Mount is what's called the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes, what they're going to do is they're going to realign our value system in order to line it up with the kingdom of God. Okay? Because we have a value system on the earth, right? We have a value system in our carnality. And that value system says, be the best you can be. Achievement is the highest end. Make money. Be at the top. Right? All these things, we would call those. These are the things that create blessing right? Be successful, follow your dreams, like all that stuff. This is successful. Jesus is going to do the first thing he's going to do in, in the Sermon on the Mount. Is he's going to say, first, you've got to really realign your value system. You've got to see the way the kingdom of heaven works because you can't build on a, on a broken value system. All right. So the first thing he commands of us to do is to reevaluate value and blessing. And here's how he does it. All right. Here's just a couple of examples. All right. Let's read verse two through six. And he opened his mouth and taught them. Sounds a little bit like what I commanded you, doesn't it? Huh? Nobody? Okay. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What did he just command them to do? Be what? Poor in spirit. You tracking? Here we go. Verse 4. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek. For they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. For they will be satisfied. We can keep going. You see what he's doing? He's realigning our value system. He's showing this is how the kingdom of God works. Right? If you'll hunger and thirst for righteousness, then what? You'll be satisfied. On the earth, what do we hunger and thirst for? Just throw some things out. Oh, okay. (laughs) Whataburger. Man, we're in a college-filled room, aren't we? (laughs) How about stuff like success? How about stuff like, like fame? Notoriety, right? Accolades, all this stuff, right? Stuff, carnal stuff. And Jesus says, wait, 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 wait. In the kingdom, if you'll be hungry and thirsty for righteousness, you'll be satisfied. He's commanding us to live in the kingdom by realigning our value system. So these are things that he tells us to do. He commands us to hunger and thirst for righteousness. So, go back to Matthew 28. Quickly. In verse 20, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. What, is, what are some things that we ought to be teaching uh, in, in discipleship? What does it look like to hunger and thirst for righteousness? We ought to be teaching that. We ought to be sitting down across the table and going, okay, there's still hunger and thirst for other stuff that's not righteousness in me. What does it look like to develop this hunger and thirst for righteousness? What does it look like to be poor in spirit? What does it look like to mourn and be comforted, right? These are things that Jesus commanded us to do, right? And there's a long list. We, and and here's, the way, here's the way you know it. Read the Bible, okay? All of what Jesus commanded us is in the scriptures. You will know what He has asked us to do and who He's asked us to be as we read the scriptures. It's all in here. I think, honestly, I think we're doing okay in that department. We hear Jesus give us instructions, and it's like, okay, I can do that, right? I've heard you say, I've read in the scriptures that I'm supposed to, let's just make disciples. So what do I do? I'm going, I'm going to go make disciples. Right? Here's the problem. Jesus didn't just command us things to do. He's not your boss. Now, he has all authority. Don't mess that around. But he's, he doesn't work like your boss at work. What does your boss at work do? Basically, they tell you what to do. Right? And how do you get a paycheck? By doing what you've been asked to do. Right? Right? The problem is that in discipleship, that's not the way that it works. Jesus doesn't just command us things to do and then leave it to us to go and do it. He also tells us the way in which it should be done. And I think one of the things that we've got so lopsided right now is we've heard Jesus say, okay, what am I supposed to do? We're supposed to save the world. We're supposed to make disciples of all nations. Here we go. And what do we do? We burst out the door with all of our energy, all of our creativity, all of our best ideas, and we try to go save the world. But we've forgotten that Jesus said, now, whoa, 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 whoa. There's a way in which I've told you to do it, and it has nothing to do with your creativity. It has nothing to do with your effort. It has nothing to do with your best self. The way that I've commanded you to do it is not from you, it's from me. So he didn't just tell us what to do, he also told us how to do it. Because how to do it is what advances the kingdom. People don't need to encounter you for their lives to be saved. I'm sorry. I love you and you look beautiful this morning. But you will change no one's life. Your life wasn't changed because you met you. Your life was interrupted and shifted and changed because you met who? God. God interrupted your life by the person of the Holy Spirit and showed you Jesus. And you realized your sin and you gave your life to him. And the old you died and the new you became alive. And you were filled with the Holy Spirit and you knew God and had relationship with him. And you will never be the same. And that's what the world needs. And they will not get that if all they're receiving is the church's best effort if all they're receiving is your best striving and your best effort that the world will never meet jesus the design is that jesus lives in you i heard somebody say one time that we're not human doings we're human beings what does jesus tell us in john 15 what are we supposed to do to bear fruit abide where in Him, and He says, "This, this is. I, there's no room for discussion. Apart from Me, you can do nothing." So, what did Jesus command us to do? He commanded us to make disciples by what? Abiding in Him. If we disconnect those two things, then we're going to go make disciples based on our own effort, and you're going to get worn out and tired, and people will not come to Jesus. But if we'll realize that Jesus has done two things, he has commanded us to go and make disciples, but he's also filled us with his spirit that disciples might be made. And my job is to let him do in and through me what he wants to do, to use me for people to encounter God in me. That's the design. And so what we've got to do, and this is what the church has to begin to do, we've got to begin to stand up and not just teach people what to do. Not just be a place where you come in, sit down, and we say, here's how you should behave. Here's what you should do. But we should also be instructing one another in how to live from Jesus, the life that is in us. What does it look like to abide in Him? What does it look like for the person of Jesus in us to nurture us and fill us and move us out on a daily basis? And I want to tell you, for the most part, the church is silent on that account but the command of discipleship is for you to teach both of those things i think one of the reasons that we're losing so much traction in our culture is because all we're telling our culture is what to do how they're behaving wrong and how they should behave right and we're forgetting this missing piece of the fullness of the holy spirit that lives in us it's not just to tell people what to do it's for them to come to an encounter with god because they've met you And that doesn't happen just by shouting behavior. I'm going to give you three verses I want you to look up on your own because we're out of time. John 15, 1 through 5. John 5, 19. If you've been in here long, you've memorized all of these. (laughs) And Luke 11, verse 1. All right. Next week... uh, He's going to say, and it's really connected. I wish we could have done it all. We don't have time, but he says, And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. That's pretty important. <laughs> and we're going to talk about what what he means by that. I'm going to repeat those verses. I hear some whispering. John 15, 1 through 5. <laughs> what did he say? What it was the second one? What was the second one? John 5, 19. Luke 11, 1. Let me pray for you. God, uh, thanks just for the. Uh, incredible opportunity to be able to get together in the context of this congregation. People that you've brought here in this room, even in this room, people from uh, all nations, then we just get to get around your scripture and we get, to, uh, we get to allow you, Holy Spirit, to teach us. And the scripture even tells us that we need you to teach us, that you're the one that leads us into all truth and, and you're the one that transforms us. And so as we've positioned ourselves in humility before you today, God, and we've asked you, we told you before we even started, God, would you teach us? And so I pray that, that in the way in which you've taught us, we would let that soak in. Just that you would just highlight what you're teaching us and that we would not dismiss it quickly and just be a lesson we learned in Sunday school, but that we would realize that the God of the universe is speaking to us, that you are moving and acting in our lives and you wanna encounter us to transform us, to be like you, that the nations would know you. So God, I pray that you would uh, deeply plant those seeds that you've spoken to us today and that they would, uh, in the days and weeks and months and years ahead, that they would grow and that they would bear fruit to the kingdom. Pray blessing over all of these students. Thank you for them. Thank you for their fire and their energy, God. And we just ask for a great move of God in our city and on our campus because of the power and the work of Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right, we'll see you next week. Have a great day.